You may be seated. Y'all may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 16, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. It's Genesis chapter 16. It's the story of Sarah and Hagar. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said truly. Here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharai. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, who Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was sixty. Or, I'm sorry. Abraham was eighty-six years old when Hagar when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The word of the Lord. It just worked out. It was interesting, we, we picked that song at the beginning of the week to sing today, and then they sang that all, all week, and we went, oh, perfect, they can come up and we'll bring it together. So, um, excited to get back to Galatians. It, it was wonderful during BBS to stand up here and get, teach the little kids, but as I was telling some people, I was looking forward to this, because I'm much more comfortable in Galatians with the adults than it was to have to teach to the little kids. Sometimes it's harder, but it was wonderful, wonderful time in BBS, but I'm excited to get back to Galatians, so... If you want to turn there with me today, we're going to be at the end of uh, chapter 4 in Galatians. We're going to finish out chapter 4 today. And if you've been with us, we've been saying over and over each week that Paul writes the letter to the churches in Galatia to say, to address some bad teaching that had come into the church. Remember, Paul planted these churches. He went, he originally preached the gospel. Many believed they came to Christ and then he left and he went on his other journeys and other bad teaching came in and started to combat what Paul had taught. And what they were saying is you need 
not only to be a Christian and take Christ, but you need to do all this other stuff. You need to follow rules and rituals and all these other things. So Paul writes this letter to say that's not the case. It's not the case at all. And he says it's Christ alone. And what we've seen is the first two chapters of Galatians very much are Paul's personal defense of himself. Why they should listen to him versus these other teachers. And then chapters 3 and 4, which we're kind of closing out that section today, is very much Paul's theological defense. And then starting next week, we'll jump into the last third of the book that's a much more practical application of what living by the gospel means. So we're going to close out that second section this week. Now, going back two weeks, it all kind of flows together. That's why we're going through the book, as you kind of get into Paul's thinking and the way he goes through it. It's good to kind of go back and catch that so we're clear about where he's going. And what we see is two weeks ago, Paul went into um, talking about the, the experiential side of when we, when we cling to Christ alone. And he talked about when we do that, we become adopted as sons. We become sons of God when we put our faith in Christ alone. And what happens is we're heirs with, through Christ. We become his sons. And he talks about the wonderful uh, beauty of that. And at the end of that passage, at the beginning of chapter 4, we talked about how we get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in and cries back to the Father. And what a beautiful picture that was. But then the next week we step to um, Paul talking about the things that take our eyes off of that. The things that take our eyes off of Christ. And what we saw in 4... Uh, Verse 8, that we become enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And what we talked about last week is we take our eyes off of Christ and we put other things in his place. And when we do that, those things are idols. That is idolatry. Biblical definition of idolatry is putting something in God's place. And we talked about how that pulls us away from it. Well, today we're going to go and we're going to look at more of Paul's main argument today. Kind of follows that logic that we looked at last week, the things that take our eyes off of Christ. But really the question he's asking, what we're going to see in this passage today is where is your trust? Are you trusting in yourself and what you can do and how good you are and how well you can follow rules and all, all the things along that line? Or are you trusting wholly and completely in God? That's what's behind his question. And what we're going to look at today is the way Paul makes his point. Remember, we're at the end of chapter 4, his theological defense. He's going right back into the Old Testament over and over to make his points. Well, today we're going to use the story of Sarah and Hagar that we just heard read for our first reading. And Paul uses that as his analogy. And he uses it to make all his points. So it's important that we have at least some grasp on that. That's partly why I said last week our first reading usually connects to what we're talking about. does it perfectly today because we're going to talk a lot about that. And uh, sometimes you get into this section and commentators like to go, oh, this is, this is a really tough section of Galatians because there's all these analogies and all these people and all this. It's really not that hard. And I just want to say, when, when we look at what you know the story and you really stop and you listen, I don't want you to get, oh no, there's all this stuff. Paul makes a lot of great points and he draws out a lot of connections, but they're pretty clear and they're pretty straightforward when we just stop and look at it. So don't let that scare you off from this section. The things he mentions, he makes great connections with. So let's read the passage and then we'll jump into those and we'll look at some of those connections that Paul makes with the Old Testament and that story that we just read earlier. So let's look at verses 21 to 31. That's where we're going to be this morning. And Paul, he starts this way in this section. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born born according to the flesh. 
while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren ones who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at what Paul and the argument he's making and the connections he's drawing. So, dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. I thank you for this uh, wonderful teaching that reaches back to, to the Old Testament and the way you were working with Abraham and Sarah and what you did in that time and how that is fulfilled today in Christ. We pray that we would see clearly what you would have for us in this passage, that we would clearly see um, the connections that Paul's making, that you inspired for us to see, that we would take great care to let the word speak for itself. We pray that your spirit would come and open our eyes and our hearts to be able to hear and apply this to our lives. We thank you for what you've done, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this this morning, we're going to jump in, and what we're going to see, really the two main points that Paul's he's, he's playing against each other is what it looks like when you trust yourself, what it looks like when you trust God. That's, that's essentially what we're getting at. But in order to really get to that, we need to take just a moment to talk a little bit about the background. Because he makes so many connections, if you don't have that clear in your mind, it can get a little muddled on what he's saying. And I don't want that to throw you because the story is not that hard. We read part of it, but I want us just to take a minute to think about the background of this, the Old Testament background. And it takes place really in Genesis 15 through about 20. The story pretty much takes place in there. But look at uh, verse 22, what Paul says, and then we'll talk about some of that background. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And what he's talking about is he's talking about Abram who later changes, God changes his name to Abraham. Don't let that throw you in our first reading today. But Abraham and his wife, Sarah, God has promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you all these descendants. And he says, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And we know now, because we have all of scripture and it's all been fulfilled and we can see all of it, that that bless the world through your seed was referring to Jesus Christ. That's what the Abrahamic covenant started with. Jesus was all the way back there. It was always about Jesus. And it was pointing to him. Well, God makes that promise to Abraham when he's 75 years old. His wife is barren. She's roughly 10 years younger than he is. And they have it, no children. And he makes this promise. And Abraham says, okay. And he trusts God and he trusts him. 10 years later, Genesis 15 comes along. And Abraham's kind of asking, uh, what's the deal, God? You told us we were going to have lots and lots of descendants. We've been waiting. No babies. Nothing, nothing's happened yet. And they ask the question, and God says, no, I'm still going to do it. And Abraham even asked the question. He said, do you mean my servant, Eliezer? That was his right-hand man, the guy that took care of all his stuff. He said, do you mean him? And God says, no, 
I don't mean him. I mean it's coming from you. It's going to be your biological son that's going to be the promise that's going to come through. And Abraham says, okay. Well, what happens, and that comes, takes us to our reading today, a little more time passes, still nothing. And suddenly Abraham and Sarah decide, maybe we need to help God out. Maybe he needs a little help on this. And they get together, and as you heard in the reading today, Sarah came to Abraham and she said, why don't you take my maidservant, why don't you take Hagar and have a child with her? That'll be from you, biologically you. Maybe that's what God means. And what Abraham and Sarah do, they do what we all do at some point. They decide they know best. I'm going to trust my way here. God doesn't seem to be moving quite fast enough for me. I don't really see how he's going. Maybe he needs me to help him. What, what you really get with, with Abraham in this story really is that God will help those who help themselves. Which, which by the way, is not in the Bible. <laughs> just, just so we're clear. I mean, we hear that a lot. And I think we like we like that saying, and we like it so much that we say it a lot and act like it's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. If we really get biblical, it's probably more like God helps those that realizes they can't help themselves. If, if we really get to the heart of the gospel. But what happens is, what we all do sometimes, Abraham and Sarah decide, well, we need to do this. We need to go have this baby, and we'll do it on our own terms. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how this is going to go. When the wife gives the servants, and then the baby, and another one, and all this stuff... You get jealousy and you get problems and you get marriage messed. All these things happen. And what happens is before the baby's even born, and that's what we read today, Sarah's going, get them out of my house. I don't want them here. They're not going to inherit this. I'm not giving it to them. And it's a mess. And what you see in that story is the great mistake of Abraham's life. And I'm always struck when you read that story. There's no mention anywhere in there with Abraham and Sarah of stopping and praying. They never say, hey, God, are we supposed to do Is this how it's supposed to get? They don't ask. And that's usually what gets us in trouble. When we jump ahead and we go out on our own and we decide we're going to do We're going to help God out. Now, if you know the rest of the story, 13 years later, when Abraham is 99 years old, finally Sarah gets pregnant with Isaac. And what you see is it's only through God working that they ever have Isaac. His wife is in her 90s now. Sarah's in right around 90. Abraham's almost 100. She's been barren for 90 years. And finally she gets pregnant. And that's the son of the promise. Now that is what Paul is drawing out in this story. The son that's born by, by Hagar is named Ishmael. And Paul says he's the son of... He, I'm using him as an allegory. If you look at verse 24, that's what he says. I'm, I'm telling you this allegorically. I'm going to interpret it this way. And what he says is the son by Hagar, Ishmael, is the son of human works. He says, I'm going to use this as a great example of when we decide we know better and we're going to do for God instead of letting God do for us. And he uses that as an example. And then he says, I'm also going to use Isaac as an example of God's promise and God working and you having to put your faith in God. Makes sense, right? Isaac is born to a lady who's in her 90s that's been barren her whole life and a 100-year-old man. The only way that happens is by God coming and doing that. And that's what Paul's saying. So he gives us the two sides. And we just need to stop for just a minute to get that overview so it's clear in our minds. So as we work through these verses, you make the connections Paul's making. Now, his audience would have known that story very well and known all those. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard it. 
And if you know all that, bear with me. It's just a good refresher so we're clear on who Hagar and Ishmael are as we work through this. So with that in mind, let's see what he says. Let's look at the two sides. We're going to start with what happens when we trust ourselves instead of God. Because that's what he starts with. So look with me at verse uh, 23. In verse 23, he says, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. So he starts with the very first thing he tells us for the for his analogy of trusting yourself, as he says, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Now, obviously, he's speaking very specifically, very literally about Hagar and Ishmael. But what he's also saying is he's making the connections for us spiritually. When we decide spiritually with our salvation or whatever it is in our life that we're going to put our trust in ourselves, what we end up doing is we end up working by the flesh, which is what he said they did. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Biblically, the flesh means your your physical nature, your physical body, not the spiritual side, which is exactly what happened. That's what I was just talking about. They don't stop and pray. There was no spiritual side in this decision. It was the flesh was the fleshly mind. I think I know how this should go. Even though God has told me one thing, it doesn't seem to add up in my mind, so I'm going to trust my mind. That is the flesh. And that's what he says. They're born by the flesh. And what happens when that, when that happens is it says he's born and he's born of this, into slavery. And you see why in our story, literally why that is, because what happens is the baby is about to be born and Sarah kicks her out and says, uh-uh, you're not going to get the inheritance. You're not. So, so you see, literally, that child, Ishmael, is going to be born into slavery because his mother is a slave and she, he's going to be in slavery. But it's the same thing for us spiritually. When we decide I'm going to help God out and I'm going to do it on my own. God, I, you accept me by what I do. That's, that's really what we're talking about. That's what was happening with the Galatians. They were adding to Christ what they do. When we do that, we're in slavery to our own shortcomings. You see how that is? Because the second God requires perfection, the second we mess up, which we will, we all will, we all do, the second we do, we're under slavery of our own works. We talked about that before. Paul's already talked about that in Galatians. But what happens is, a lot of times it's not even just issues of salvation, it's issues of trusting God in your walk. Because a lot of times, Abraham believed God. It says, it says right before they make this decision that it's been counted to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham's saved because he trusts God. But he then moves on in his life and decides, I'll make these decisions on my own. We do the same thing. You may be clinging to the cross of Christ and what he's done, but you do like we did last week where you get off just a little bit and then you start to make decisions on your own. And a lot of times in our world today, we talk about, I'm going to throw off all these things and I'm going to make the decisions myself. And we look at that like that's freedom. It's the way our world talks about it. That's freedom. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm free to do whatever I want. The reality is, though, when you walk away from what God tells you and you say, I'm going to take the reins myself, I'm going to make my decisions you're, you're entering into a type of slavery. And the reason why, you may think, oh, I'm so free, I'm making these decisions. Because it's going to end in destruction. It's going to end badly. I'll give you an example. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of a good way. Um, you're on an airplane. And you're flying, you're sitting in the back, and you're flying. And you realize, I'm not free here. I'm, a, I'm under the control of the pilot. He's flying the plane. I have to go wherever he's going. And you decide, I'm going to take over. I don't want him flying the plane. I want complete freedom. I'm going to take over. 
And for just sake of the illustration, you get up there and you take over. You're, you're the pilot now. You say, move aside. I want freedom. I want to do it. And then you realize very quickly that you don't know how to fly a plane. And pretty quickly you start going down and you realize this is not going to end goodly. End good. Goodly. Terrible English. <laughs> Luckily I'm not teaching the kids because that would be really bad. Uh, but it's not going to end good. You start going down and you realize real quickly that, yeah, you're in complete control, but the end road of you being in complete control is you're going to crash and burn here. And that's, that's the reality a lot of times when we say, I want freedom. I'm going to do this myself. I don't need you to tell me, God, I'm going to go out on my own. But the reality is when you, re- when you reject what God tells us, there's a reason he tells us things. And a lot of times it doesn't add up with our flesh. And that's what he's talking about here. Our flesh leads to our slavery because a lot of times we say, I'll do this on my own, and it's a mess. And the reality is the, the true it's true in every issue. When you look at what Scripture says and you decide to throw it off and do it yourself, there's going to be consequences to it. And it's especially true when we talk about salvation. Because if you try to do it yourself, you will never, ever, ever be able to add up. And it's going to be a mess. And you're going to be in slavery under your own inability to add up to what God's perfect law is. You can't do it. So it ends in the first thing Paul tells us is when we decide to trust ourselves, we end up acting by this flesh and we end up in slavery. But there's another thing he says in verse 30. Look at verse 30 with me. He says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. What Paul's saying is, when we decide to do it ourselves, remember the son of the slave woman is representing trusting in yourself and your own thinking and your own way. When we do that, we are not going to get God's inheritance. And the reality is because we can't add up. We can never do enough. We can never do enough to be accepted by God. And when we decide to go down that route, it's going to end and we do not get his inheritance. The only way you can obtain the inheritance that you can be brought in as sons is to cling solely and completely to Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And if you reject that way, you will not get the inheritance. So it's a very serious thing that Paul shows us, the way he works through and the things he says about being the, the son of that, that side. And as I was thinking about it, you're thinking about that part of you can't add up. And the reality is, though, when you really look at it, all world religions operate under that, that uh, thought that you can't add up. Go look at any religion in the world aside from Christianity, aside from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you'll see all of them are you do A, B, and C, and if you do it well enough, God will accept you. And it struck me as I read this this week, and he talked about the son of the slave woman, and he talks about Hagar, and he talks about Ishmael, and he says all these things over and over. And I got to this, and I kept thinking that here's Paul writing 600 years before Islam would begin. Islam claims Ishmael as the son of the promise. How appropriate that Islam is built wholly and completely on your works and what you do for God. You see that? Ishmael is the father of Arabs. The Arabians come from Ishmael. That uh, Islam has grown out of that. And what happens is they cling to you pray five times a day, you go to Mecca, you give alms, you do these things, and God will accept you. It's what you do. Put your trust in how well you do what you do, and God will accept you. 
It's the perfect analogy of what Paul is saying. And it's not just Islam. It's all world religions. They all work that way. They all are do A, B, and C, and then you earn your way to heaven. Trust in how well you can keep these things. And Paul's saying, don't do that. If you do that, you will be in slavery. You can't do it. You'll be acting according to your flesh, and you will be in slavery, and it will be a mess. There's another analogy he makes that, that would have been shocking to the people at the time, and it's one of those we might miss a little bit. But look at what he says. Uh, look at the end of 24 and 25. Um, now, Hagar, or verse 25. Now, Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, we read that and go, okay, I'm not really sure exactly what he's talking about. What he's saying is he's, he's making the analogy that those that follow this path, this I'm going to do it myself path like Hagar, like this represents. He says that's what present Jerusalem is like. He, what he's saying to his audiences, to Jews of that day that are God's promised people, he says, no, no, no. Now that you've rejected Christ and you're adding all this other stuff. You're just like the son that got kicked out that doesn't get the promise. That would have been very shocking to Jews to hear that. What he's saying is you're just like the Arabians. They would have said, what? That would have been very, I mean, think about the, uh, even the present day implications if you say that to Jews. To the Jewish nation. You're just like the Arabians. You're just like sons of Ishmael. That's what Paul was saying. And the reality is because they're trusting in themselves. That's a very shocking thing that he says. Before we move to this, the flip side, the trusting God completely, I want you just to think about this for a second this morning. Are you doing this at all today? Is there anything in your life that you're trusting yourself for instead of God? Maybe it is salvation. Maybe you think I'm saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm saved by keeping Jesus' teaching. That's exactly what Paul says here, too, as well, because look at verse 24. He says, uh, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. What happened at Mount Sinai? Ten Commandments. It's where God gives the Ten Commandments. Paul's saying, if you're clinging to the Ten Commandments, you're just like Hagar. You're just like the ones that are trusting yourself. If you're clinging to the Ten Commandments for your salvation, you're in trouble. That's what he's saying. And it may not be as big as that. Maybe you're clinging to Jesus for your salvation, but you have lots of issues in your life that you're holding so tightly. I've got to figure this out. I've got to do this. It works all the way down the line. You're either trusting yourself or you're trusting God. I want you to think about where your trust is this morning in everything in your life. Are you trusting God for every bit of it? Because let's look what happens when you trust God. That's the second part. When you cling to his promises and you trust him versus trusting yourself. Look at the, the second part of verse 23. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. And then in verse 26, he says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. The first main point that Paul makes is when you trust Christ alone, and you put your faith completely and totally in Him, you have freedom. You're freed from the things that you can't add up. You're freed from your own works. Because if you go the other route and you're going to trust yourself, the second you mess up, it starts piling on. 
And Paul says you go to the other side and you trust God and you're freed from all that because you're not saved by you. You are saved by Christ alone and what he's done for you. That is a radically freeing thing. It's no longer all about, oh no, I made this mistake or way back when I did this or yesterday I slipped up and did this. You're not saved by you. You're not saved by your works. You're not putting your trust in how good your performance is. You're putting your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you. Huge, huge difference. And what we get is it's, it's freeing. It's radically freeing. Because remember what the Galatians were being taught. Remember who Paul's writing to at that moment. They're being taught. Jesus came and he saved you and he did all this stuff. Now your part is keep the law, keep the rules, keep the rituals. And what they were saying is God meets you most of the way, but you've got to do the rest. You've got to get there. And Paul's saying, no, Christ did all of it. Your part is you put your faith in what Jesus did for you. Your part is not God helps those that helps themselves. Your part is God helps those that are desperately, completely lost and they need him to do it for them. That's the difference. And the difference is that's radically freeing because it's no longer about your works. It's no longer all about your stuff. Now, that doesn't mean we throw out any good works. The Bible clearly teaches that when you grasp that, you will have good works as a way of thanking God for what he's done for you. But it's not how you're saved. And there's a big, big difference. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 27. It's a beautiful, wonderful picture when you grasp what he's saying here. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And Paul's taking Isaiah and he's quoting it and he's applying it to Sarah and to Hagar. And what he's saying is, Worldly wisdom says, yes, it makes sense that you would have a baby through Hagar. She's the young one. She's fertile. Sarah's very old and she's barren. It makes sense, Abraham, for you to do that. That's the way the world thinks. Think about that situation today. Abraham is 85 years old with his 75-year-old wife and they haven't been able to have kids. What would the world say if they say, well, we're just going to wait on God to give us a child? They would laugh at him and they'd say, well, you need a surrogate and you need to do whatever and you need... Basically, you need to take someone just like Hagar and you need to have a baby and that's what you should do. What Paul's saying is no, that's not how God works. He says rejoice the barren one, Sarah. I'm going to work through this. And what it's teaching us spiritually, what Paul's saying is those that are saved, those that come to Christ in faith are not the ones that have it all together. It's not God looking for, oh, you're pretty good, so I'll save you. That's just not how it works. If that was the, or a lot of times we think, I've got to get everything together before I go to church. My life is a mess and I need to get things a little better and then I'll go to church. No, don't, don't do that. Don't believe that lie. We need, the, the reality is no one is beyond God's reach. His grace is big enough to meet you right where you are, no matter what you've done or how bad you think it is or where you've been. That's not the case. It's not you've got to get it together and then he's going to bring you. It's he goes to the barren ones. He goes to the places where it looks completely lost. How in the world that person is so far from God? God can get anyone. Because he's God. And he's sovereign. And he's good. And he does. 
And you hear story after story of people that you would think, how in the world are they ever going to come to faith? And it's not about, uh, I keep, it, as I read this this week and just thinking about this point, I kept thinking about in Matthew 9 where Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, the worst of the worst. And he says, come on, come follow me. And then he goes to his house and he sits with all Matthew's friends and they're all messed up. And the religious leaders are going, what is he doing? Why is he with those people? Right? They're thinking, if God's going to save anybody, he's going to save us because we're so religious and we're so together and we're so presentable. And Jesus turns to him and he says, I didn't come for the ones that think they've got it all together. I came for people who are sinners. I came for people who are hopelessly lost, which is all of us. It's just whether or not we realize it. But that's what Jesus said. I didn't come for the ones that polish up well and look good. I came for the ones that are lost. And that's what Paul's telling us here. There's, there's no, no one that's beyond God's reach. And you don't have to pull it together to make it look so good so that he can save you. That's not how he works. What it takes is you just realize, you just laying it at his feet and saying, I don't have anything to offer here. It's completely and totally you. Right? It's, and, and what you come to when you think about that is it's either I'm going to trust in myself. Oh, I'm pretty presentable. God will probably like me. He might. You're, you're trusting in yourself. Or you come to the other side and you say, I don't have anything to offer here. All that's left is I have to trust God and him alone and what he's done for me in Christ. And that's what Paul's showing us by, by using that quote. So if you think today, as I was talking about before, you're holding things back, the same is true. If you think today, I've done too many bad things. I've made too many mistakes. I am too far. No, you're not. That's not the truth. That's not what God's word says, and that's not how he works. You're not too far. All it takes is you realizing it can't, it's not me. It's not in me. It's not about me. It's about what he's done for me, and I don't have anything to offer, and I'm just going to humbly lay it at his feet. That's what it takes. It's not about you. So the last thing he says, and we're going to end with this today, this great uh, ending. Look at verse 29. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So what we're going to end with today is the wonderful thought of when you put your faith completely and totally in Christ, you're going to be persecuted. That's what he's saying. And he's talking about how when you, and I want you to think about this, this is a couple ways that he says it, but I want you to think about the two sides. When you put your faith totally and completely and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus all the way, you are going to be out of step with the world. I talked about that example of Abraham and Sarah. What would people say if they say, no, no, we're waiting on God. He's going to give us a baby. I'm only 98 and she's only 89 and we haven't had a kid, but he's going to, people would say, you're crazy. You're insane. And you're going to be persecuted. When you trust in God's promises completely and totally, you put his your trust in him, there's going to be times you're out of step with the world. But the sad truth of this passage, when you look at it in context, he says, those who are born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. What he's talking about is the most religious people are going to persecute those who live by grace. How sad is that? And what he's saying is, what, what he's saying in the, 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 the thought about religion is when we talk about religion... I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to come to church, go to prayer breakfast, do a couple other things, and then I'll be good. 
That's what religion ends up being. I have my checklist of what I'm doing. And the reason that persecutes those who follow Christ, when you follow Jesus fully, when you realize you are saved completely and only by what he's done for you, that means he can demand everything. Every area of your life. All of it. When you're not clinging to Jesus and you make it about religion, you go, well, I went to church and I did this and I did my thing and I've got my little checklist. Now I can hold some stuff back. Because I'm doing part. I did my part and God did his part and we're meeting in the middle, so that means I can separate out this part of my life. I'll hold this back from God. God, I'll be at church every week and I'll volunteer and I'll do this, but you can't touch my finances. Really, that's the way it happens a lot of times. But when you realize it's completely and totally and all of it is by grace, he can demand all of it. Every bit of it. And when you start to get that, when the light goes on that that's what grace means, people on the other side, they go, oh, wait a second. That's where the persecution comes in. Oh, don't tell me that. Don't tell me it's about sharing my house with people. No, no, that's where I draw the line. You know, like we suddenly get worried about it. Wait a second. And that's the reality, the sad reality. But the wonderful part, I don't want to end with, okay, you're going to be persecuted now. Let's go. <laughs> That'd be kind of a... But the, the wonderful reality, though, is when you do, when you get that it's all grace and you start to give him everything and every part of it, what happens is your heart starts to align with what you were made for. And you start to see God move in ways that you never imagined possible. And he starts to do things that you just can't even fathom. And it is so wonderful and so great. And you suddenly don't care about your stuff. Or it's, a, it's mine and I'm holding this part. You're, it's all yours, God. I don't care. Show me your glory. Work through this. I guarantee you as we end today, this is the best, best way I, I think I can say it, when we consider this, this part about going full out for him and what that means and how you may be persecuted, there will not be a single person who stands before him in judgment and goes, man, I wish I would have spent more time for me. I wish I would have spent a little more money on myself. I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time witnessing and telling people about Jesus. That will never happen. But the opposite will. Man, if I would have just told one more person. If I would have just laid it out there every day. Because the reality is when you stand before him for the first time ever, you'll completely know how much he loves you. Completely. And there will be no holding back. And you'll think, man, I wish I would have just gone with it the whole time. I can promise you that. And you can choose to trust God and what he says because that's the reality. You'll never, ever regret laying it all out there for him. Never. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We pray that uh, we'd be serious about trusting you in everything. We know how hard it is sometimes when we're, we're faced with struggles and frustrations. It's easy when the world says one thing to think uh, of the merit. And it, it's hard sometimes to look and just trust you alone. I pray that we would. 
that we'd be a church that's so moved by what you've done for us that we seek to trust you in every single area. No matter how silly it may make us look to the world, how out of step we might be, that, that we would follow your spirit, that we would love you above all else, and we would trust you in every, every situation. We thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.